CA, good to be with you this morning as we pass the blue buckets. I want to just get started and dive into um, our time in the scripture this morning. My name is Cheryl. I'm uh, part of the staff here at Christian Assembly. I want to give greetings to the South Side. Good to be with you guys here. I love that we're uh, one church, both sides of the street, that we can come. I want to continue in this theme of Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, by the way. Hope you had a sweet time uh, celebrating and thanking God for all that he has given to you and your family and those around you. I love that we got to see those leaves. I hope you might take a moment after the service just to kind of linger and maybe come and look at some of those uh, leaves that are up on the trees and be encouraged by all that we are thankful for. Tom led us so beautifully last weekend And the image that has stuck with me that he gave us was that picture of, um, remember, the vulture and the hummingbird, right? That we want to be a community that wakes up not like the vulture who's looking for death, but a group of people who wake up like the hummingbird looking for the sweet nectar of life. That we would be a community of uh, gratitude, a community of thanksgiving, that we would be a people marked by, when people talk about that um, ugly little church on the corner in Eagle Rock, they would say um, they're marked by worship, by gratitude, by life, right? As I was um, preparing for this time, a card came in the mail to me, and I thought it came last week. And I thought it was a Christmas card. And I was like, are you kidding me? People, you are so on top of it. Um, But when I opened it up, it was a card from some friends of mine, this little card. And uh, it came with a letter. And it explained that they felt like uh, it was a a card from my friends, um, Gina and Max Goodgame. And it explained that they felt this year compelled not to send a Christmas card, but to send a Thanksgiving card, because they are friends of mine. I've known them since before they were married. They're dear, dear, dear to my heart. Uh, They are friends who live in Houston, Texas, right? And so they were uh, greatly impacted by Hurricane Harvey. And they wanted to send out this letter of thanksgiving. And so they listed, they said, we want to give our top five uh, thanksgivings for this year. And one was their little girl who was born six weeks before Harvey hit. Their son, and they talked about him. They thank, uh, they are thankful for their community, their neighborhood uh, that all came together, their church. And then I'll read, I, I'd love to read the whole letter to you. But then number five was this. We are thankful in 2017 for the provision God will make for 2018. Our house was declared a total loss by the city and cannot be rebuilt at ground level. The picture, this is the picture they actually posted like the day after Harvey hit from their house on Facebook. So I just grabbed it off of Facebook. Um, But they're standing in their home. They said our house has been declared a total loss by the city cannot be rebuilt at ground level. We don't have any answers for what is next, but based on God's track record, we know it will be beyond anything we can imagine. It won't be easy or in our time 
or in our way, but it will be good and our hearts rest and rejoice in that. They go, she adds a bonus, number six, gratitude. Number six, we are thankful for this holiday season for Jesus, that he came as a baby and died on the cross for forgiveness of sins. We are thankful that all the days of our lives were written before one of them came to be. Nothing comes as a surprise to Jesus. He knew that even though we spent years in fertility treatment, he would give us a healthy newborn conceived naturally. He knew Harvey was coming. He knew, too, that the sickness or job loss you face was also coming. We are never too far. He is always there with us, fighting for us and pursuing us with his reckless love. We are thankful that those who ask will receive, and whoever knocks, the door will be opened. Although we often don't know the way forward, we do know the way maker, and for that we rejoice. She goes on, she says, several months before the storm, God made it clear to Max and I that Psalm 42 through 3 was a new life verse for us, and they had put it at the top of their uh, letter. And that verse says this, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, set my feet on a rock, gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. She said, we even had it painted to be hung on our wall. Little did we know how literal it would be. He lifted us out of the mud and the mire that was our home, and he put a new song in our mouth. Some days I want to wake up and sing a sad song, a song of despair and loss and frustration. But then I have to remind myself that the new song is there. It's my choice to sing it. A song of joy and praise and thanksgiving. No doubt this year has brought struggles and trials for each of you. Sickness, heartache, loss of a loved one, Hurricane Harvey, financial struggles, whatever they may be. None of us are immune to trouble. So our prayer is that you would experience the goodness of God in the midst of it. And that as the year comes to a close, your hearts would overflow with a song of thanksgiving. And that's where I want to continue this morning. I want us to talk about worship. And so in your bulletin, you'll see a little triangle. This is my little triangle of worship. You could probably come up with something better. But I, uh, but when I think about worship, I want to lay the foundation as we talk about worship. Um, when I think of worship, I think of this triangle, that worship is all pointing to God In the far right corner, I would put thanksgiving. This is what we focused on last week. I would put this idea of thanking God for what he has done. The scripture speaks over and over, actually over 160 times, about being thankful, about being people of thanksgiving. And then the far left corner of that triangle... I would put surrender. You can't ignore the theme of surrender in worship. If you read through the scriptures, worship is not just gathering and singing songs. 
worship expressed in the scripture includes our very life. It includes a surrender of who we are. It's what Paul is getting at in Romans chapter 12. He says this, he says, therefore I urge you and the therefore is when anytime you study the Bible, you want to ask if you see a therefore, what's it there for, right? And therefore is that he's pointing back to Romans 1 through 11 in which he has laid out the good news of Jesus Christ. He's told them that, hey, yes, we live in a messed up world. Yes, we are messed up people, but there is hope because we have a God who is filled with grace who's come to not only rescue us, but rescue our world, not only to redeem us, but to redeem our world. And so he's just laid all that out. And he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, to offer all of you, When you're reading the scripture and it talks about your heart, or it talks about your body, or it talks about your mind, in in the biblical languages, the, the, the concept is never just a part of you. It's all of you. Offer all of you. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What is true worship? How can you know if your worship is authentic? It's surrender. It's an offering of all that we are. It's an offering of my time. Surrendering my control of my time. That God would be in control of my time. It's an offering of our finances. That God would be in control of my finances. It's an offering of my career path, right? It's an offering of my family. It's an offering up and saying, Lord, all these things that I love and are good things, I place them underneath your control. That is a worship of surrender. So thanksgiving, worship, uh, surrender, and then the top one, I would put adoration. To adore God, to praise God, not simply for what he has done, but for who he is. That's what we see in uh, Gina's letter of Thanksgiving, right? Her bonus number six. And I just want to thank God for Jesus. I just want to thank him for who he is. I want to adore him. I want to praise him. I want to worship him for all that he is to me. Almost 500 times in the scripture, it speaks of praising. It speaks of worshiping. It speaks of adoration, adoring. And so that's the trajectory that I want to take us this morning, that we would talk about adoring God. I love this moment in the 
uh, stories of Jesus and the life of Jesus, there's this moment when his disciples, his followers, come to him and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. Which is really interesting if you think about it because these are 12 guys who um, grew up in the Jewish tradition. They would have been taught to pray from a very, very young age. They would have been taught to pray the Psalms. They would have been taught to pray from the Scriptures. They would have been instructed in prayer. And yet, there was something about Jesus' prayer life in that they felt compelled. We want to know how you pray, Jesus. Would you teach us to pray the way you pray? In Matthew 6, there's a record of this prayer that he taught them. Jesus says uh, to them, he said, uh, when you pray, pray like this. Pray starting out with this. And every word in this prayer matters. So I think it's in your bulletin, yeah, get underlined. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven. Start out that way. Our, he's ours. He's yours. Our Father. Father, the language that Jesus chooses to use there, and he could have used a different word, but he uses the language of Abba, Daddy. This is a Father who is intimate. This is the kind of father that you can crawl up into his lap and share with him all of your needs, all of your wants, all of your desires, all of your story. When you pray, pray our father, our daddy in heaven. And what I love of this picture is it's this daddy in heaven. It's this intimacy and this infiniteness, right? It's this God who is infinite and large and big. He's in heaven, which really the idea there is that he is the one who reigns. He is the king, but he's a king who you can crawl up into his lap, right? He's your daddy in heaven. And then it says, Jesus says, pray, hallowed be your name. Hallowed. It's interesting word choice. And as I was studying it, what is interesting to me is that um, it's really a word we don't use anymore. You don't go around and say, oh, hallowed you. I hallowed you. I'm hallowing you. Hallow you. We don't use that word. But all of our modern translations, most of our modern translations keep it. Why do they keep it? Because it's really hard to find a better word than to hallow, because to hallow means to treat as sacred, to treat as ultimate. It is the thing that comes first. The hallowed thing is the thing that comes first. It is the ultimate aim of our life. Hallowed be your name. I make you sacred. I consider you sacred, which is to be set apart. I consider you ultimate. I consider you first, right? So as I was preparing, I had to ask myself the question, right? 
What do I make ultimate? What do I make ultimate? And hear this, church, because I want you to know, I'm going to list some things that I can tend to make ultimate. And there are a lot of them are really good things. And what I don't want you to hear is that I shouldn't want these things or I shouldn't have these things. What I want you to hear is that God would be above those things, right? You see, what the church can tend to do is they hear a whole list of things and they think that to make God greater, I need to completely reduce those things or not even want them. And I would say, no, want them, but make God even greater, right? But what can I make ultimate in my life? What do I hold? What do I put, uh, uh, set apart? What do I put first? Relationships, family, career, financial security, houses. If you know me, you know I love my house, so I'm not even speaking like that figuratively. I really could put my house above above a lot of things. I love my house. But then I got a little bit more personal with myself. I started to write some things down. What do I make ultimate? The esteem of people. Control. Safety. Security. Never being seen as incompetent. Avoiding all conflict. Respect. Love. Being right. (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) We can know what we hold ultimate. There's a little clue in our life, for me anyway. I can know when I'm making something ultimate, even above God, by the things that tweak me. Right? The things that just kind of set me off. What are the things? When do I find myself angry? When do I find myself inordinately angry? Why is that tweaking me? I got to ask that question. Right? When I find myself so impatient. When I find myself wounded in a way that's just kind of over the top, right? Why can't I let that go? When I'm replaying the conversation in my head five times, 75 times, turning off the radio in the car so I can practice the conversation as it should have gone, when I am envious Jealous, overly anxious, or just plain anxious, right? These are the clues to what I'm making ultimate, what I'm putting first. Theologian and author Russell Moore put it this way, Whatever you're concerned about will lead you to what you'll worship. And on what you worship is, Hinges your destiny. 
on what we worship, what we give our adoration to, what we surrender our life to, will determine how we live. But here's the truth for those of us us who have placed our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. Those of us who have become Christian. The truth for us is that we do have, and you know where I'm going with this, you know we have what is sacred. Not just what is sacred, who is sacred, right? We have the one who is ultimate. The one who is hallowed. The one worthy of our very lives, Jesus. This was the discovery of the Apostle Paul, right? He was so taken by who Jesus was. I love what he says in Philippians chapter 3. It's interesting. He's kind of going to go through his resume. He's going to talk about why he, where he found his significance... Before he encountered Christ. Where did he find his righteousness? Where did he find what made him a person of value? He's going to give his list of things. He says in Philippians 3. Indeed. If others have reason for confidence in their own efforts. I have even more. Now for many of us. We would then go on and talk about our bank accounts. Our savings. Our cars. Our houses. Our um, careers. All those kind of things. What's interesting about Paul. Is what he lists is his religious stuff. And maybe that would be us too. Well of course. I go to church. I was born a Christian. Y'all know nobody's born a Christian right. That's another sermon. But I, I mean I, I've always. I'm, I'm, I mean I serve. I ush. I ush. Usher things. I, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all in it. Paul's kind of given that, right? So he goes on. He says, I was, I, for in his world, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees. That's the like religious groups. That's like if you're saying, you know, I like Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Foursquare, whatever. Like he's like, I was a Pharisee. That's that's an awesome little group there who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. This new thing, this Jesus thing, I was zealous because they were corrupting, in his mind at the time, they were corrupting us. I was persecuting them to protect the purity of God's people, right? And as for for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I kept the commands, right? I'm on it. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. I thought those were the things that made me right with God, but then I discovered the work of Jesus. I discovered what Christ has done and I discovered who Christ was. And he said, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything else is... Has Jesus captured your heart? 
Have you found yourself in awe of him in such a way that you would say everything else is worthless in comparison? For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. That I could gain Jesus. That I would live my life in relationship to him. It's interesting when you read the writings of Paul Oftentimes in his letters to the new churches, he just busts out in worship. He just starts to proclaim things about who God is. Multiple times in his letters, you see him just kind of digressing or, or not digressing, but he just goes into, into prayer, right? And one of those places where he just kind of steps into this adoration of who God is, is found in Colossians, where he speaks to uh, the character of Jesus. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Do you want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. Now, of course, Paul is living amongst people who were actual eyewitnesses of Jesus, which is even more stunning if you think about it, because he's saying these people saw a man who walked, who was in the flesh, and they discovered him. To be God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Anything in your life that feels like it's spinning out of control right now? Anything in your life? that feels like it's falling apart. Paul would say, what I've come to find out is that in Christ, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, he might be preeminent. He might be hallowed. He might be ultimate, right? A.W. Tozer, one of the dead guys that we should all read, says this. The person who has God as his treasure has all things in one. And he has it purely, legitimately, and forever. I love this story that a woman who was a missionary in Asia wrote about her husband. He uh, ultimately died of cancer. But as he was dying, he went into the hospital. And she said, Dean, that's her husband's name. She said, Dean decided that through praise, he would make his hospital room a dwelling place for God. Dean said, I'll be praising God for all eternity. But only during my brief time on earth can I bring him joy through praising him in the midst of pain. She goes on some months later at his funeral. Our friend who was officiating said this. 
said Dean's room became his hospital room. Dean's hospital room became a sanctuary, his bed a pulpit, and all who came to comfort him were blessed. The power of praise, the power of adoration, the power of worship. St. Augustine said this. It's my favorite quote. I have it in my office on a plaque thing. I quote it all the time. St. Augustine said, Many cry to the Lord to avoid losses or acquire riches for the safety of friends or the security of homes, for temporal happiness or worldly distinction. Yes, even for mere physical health. Alas, it is easy to want things from God and not want God himself. As though the gift could be preferable to the giver, right? It is easy to want things from God and not want God himself. C.S. Lewis, during a time of great grief, said this. He said, I know now, Lord, why you utter no answer. You yourself are the answer. Have you been there? I've been there. You've been there. I know now, Lord, why you utter no answer. You yourself are the answer. And Dallas Willard When we see Jesus as he is, we must turn away or else shamelessly adore him. Let's be people who shamelessly adore him. As Jacob comes up, Alex on the other side, I want to point us to Psalm 145. Psalm 145 is a psalm of adoration. I wish I could read the whole thing to you, but I'll just read a little bit of it. Uh, it says this, I exalt you, my King, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise and extol your name forever and ever. God is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Amen. Well, what's interesting about that psalm, as I was studying it, is it's an acrostic. So each little section that declares some truth about who God is starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so I thought, as I was preparing, it would be cool to take the our English alphabet, and it's here in your bulletin. Grab it, because i got an assignment for you. If you've been a part of um, anything with me, women's Bible study, you know I love me some homework, people. Because um, it helps us. We need these practices to help us, right? And um, so here's what I want to do. I just want us to start together, even this morning. Um, so... 
what I did was I just took the alphabet just like this in my journal, and then I wrote a letter. Uh, I took the letter like A, and I wrote a word that described who God is that begins with that letter. So would you indulge me? Would you just do A, B, and C right now, and then I want you to take this home, and I want you to make this your practice uh, whether it's, maybe it's um, tonight when you sit with Jesus. I hope you have a time each day that you sit with the Lord, whether it's 10 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. Would you do this in your next time of sitting with him and just fill this out, letters that begin. And then what you might do, this is what I've been doing since I started this, is I um, ha- then decided... Uh, Each day, although it's not been every day, but most days, I take the next letter of the alphabet and I just spend that letter to begin my time of sitting with the Lord. And you know what's been awesome is it's helped me not just run to my list of things for him to do, but for me to just sit with him. I think the last letter I was on was E a couple days ago, right? And just to declare who he is and what we want to do now is we want to declare through song how good he is, how beautiful he is. Let's do that together.